Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Why do so many Christians disagree with each other on things? Well, my friend, that is not a problem with the Bible. It is a problem with people. Even people who have entered into a relationship with the Spirit of God will often view life and work and needs and oftentimes ministry itself through the lens of the unique burden or call God placed upon their hearts, failing to recognize that God may have placed different burdens on other people's hearts. This doesn't mean that God's message has changed. It doesn't mean that we aren't all called to share the love and forgiveness of Jesus, but there are different ways to demonstrate love. There are loving words. There are loving actions. There is merciful love. There's also such a thing as tough love, and people have a tough time with tough love and a tough time thinking tough love is love, but sometimes you do love a person enough to knock them down a peg or try to shake them and get a little sense into them. These different expressions of love will be our topic of discussion today as we continue a series started on last week's program about spiritual gifts, that everybody has at least one spiritual gift. And in time, being around somebody else, their gift might duplicate in you. But I mentioned that there's one you start with. Now, usually when spiritual gifts are talked about, we think about the gift of tongues and the gift of healing and the gift of miracles. Those are gifts too, but they're different kinds of gifts. I call them assistance gifts. What I'm talking about now, I I believe, are are the root motivational gifts. Now, I'm not the first person to coin that term. It was first coined by Bill Gothard of Basic Youth Conflicts that I attended when I was in college back in the 70s. I should say, an important disclaimer, I'm not a big Bill Gothard fan, do not accept a lot of his teaching, but I thought he did an excellent job with spiritual gifts. I also mentioned last week, though, that I went through about 10 different teachings of spiritual gifts and looked at the places where they overlap. The Bible does not give a lot of information about them. A lot of the information that we were able to glean from the Bible we went through last week, but a lot of these observations today are just that, observations over the years that people have made about people with the gifts. And I believe that our gift is a special drive, a special burden that God gives us. And then he leaves it up to us and helps us himself and brings others into our life to teach us to turn it into a skill. And these gifts are listed in the book of Romans. I'm reading to you from Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul talking. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Now, the word he actually uses there in Greek that they translate as ministry is the word service, diakonos, actually where we get the word deacon from. A servant and a minister was the same thing. Everybody's called to be a servant. Everybody's called to some degree to do all of these things, but we're talking about specializing. We're talking about what we do the most. So a lot of times the word that's used here is, is the gift of service, and I'm going to refer to it that way. It's translated as ministry here, but those words were interchangeable words in the New Testament. The gift of service, let us use it in our ministering in our serving. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, the gift of leadership they're talking about here, sometimes called the gift of administration. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, what would I use to back up my idea that we each have one gift that we start with? I, I, I compared it last week to like when you were in college, you had your major, but you had your minor, your electives, your GE. Well, it's the way it's used. The word gift is used in a singular tense in the New Testament. First Peter 4.10 says, as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same to one another. By the way, when the Bible says every man, the Bible is not a chauvinistic book, but it does come out of a chauvinistic culture where they used male terms. But Peter and Paul, we know that when they talked 
this way, and they're speaking to the church, and they say, as every man has received the gift, they mean man and woman. And you can actually prove that by going to the book of Galatians, where the Apostle Paul says, all of us are receiving the inheritance of the sons. In those days, only a son received his father's inheritance, and even then, only the firstborn son. But the inheritance that would have gone to the firstborn son, it says, will go to everybody, whether male or female. And it says, you are all sons. There's neither male nor female. They're not talking about gender neutrality. They mean whether you're male or female, it makes no difference in your status. So ladies out there, when you hear me read as every man has received a gift, it means every man or woman. That's how I mean it. That's how the writers of the Bible meant it. But my main point here is that they're using it in a singular sense. It doesn't say as every man has received gifts. As every man has received the gift. Now also First Timothy, First Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid hands on you. Sometimes the gifts of the Holy Spirit were imparted uh, from the Holy Spirit, but as human beings acting as a conduit. It doesn't have to happen that way, but that was a very common and intimate ritual in those days, the laying on of hands when somebody's called to ministry. Now, Timothy was the pastor of a church. And when you read First Timothy, Paul's talking about all kinds of different things that he as a pastor, Timothy, was doing. And you see different things on there. You see the gift of leadership. You see the gift of preaching. You see different things that Timothy was doing. But when he wraps up the book and he gets toward the end, instead of saying, do not neglect your gifts, such as the gifts I've reviewed, why does he go out of his way to say, do not neglect your gift? Well, he seems to be saying, you're doing many marvelous things, but don't forget that first gift that was given to you. The first gift that was given to me was what would be called the gift of prophecy. Now, I mentioned last week that when we hear the word prophecy, we think about predicting the future. We think somebody's going to get up and say, partly cloudy with chance of showers in the air. Uh, a prophet might get some vision from God or words from God about the future. But primarily, if you look at the Old and the New Testament prophets, they were mostly talking about the present. They were people that exposed evil, particularly evil motives, and usually people that spoke and exposed evil motives coming out of alleged good people. Prophets in ancient Israel used to confront the kings and didn't get along with the kings too well because a lot of the kings in ancient Israel were wicked kings. Prophets today tend to confront pastors in churches, and prophets in churches are about as popular with pastors as prophets in those days were popular with kings. But a prophet is somebody who is proclaiming. Now, a prophet who, last week I also mentioned that on top of all these gifts, we usually have a ministry more for the world or for the church. Somebody who wants to proclaim truth and expose evil in the church, we usually think of as a revivalist. Somebody who wants to proclaim evil and expose it out in the world, we think of as an evangelist, but that's a prophet working in either the type A or type B side ministry to the church or ministry of the world. I believe that the first gift God gave me was prophecy in the type A side. The guys that led me to Christ, I told them, you know, even if I became a Christian, you'll never hear me talk about this stuff. I should keep religion to myself. And at the end of the week, I couldn't put the Bible down. I couldn't stop talking about it. My first gift was evangelism. But God called me to ministries that needed some administration. I needed to learn how to organize retreats and to teach Bible studies. And I needed to learn how to do some counseling. And, and I needed to... to be gentle with people. And so in time, other gifts rubbed off on me. So I believe that all of us, I don't mean to single myself out, I'm just using myself as an example. All of us reach points where there'll be more than one gift working in our life, but there's still that special baby, that original drive. There's still nothing I love more than sharing with somebody who's looking for God and doesn't understand the love of Christ. Paul compared the gifts to parts of the body. Not everybody's a hand, not everybody's a mouth, not everybody's an ear, but we're all one body making up the body of Christ. Of course, he's speaking figuratively. 
and not metaphysically, uh, but we collectively can reproduce the ministry that Jesus had. And it's in Romans chapter 12. I read that scripture out loud before we went to the break, but let me review the seven gifts that they list in Romans, the gift of prophecy, the gift of service, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, and the gift of mercy. Now, each of these seven gifts is motivated by love, should be motivated by love. When when we have trouble with that motivation, that problem comes from us and not God. But it's a special burden the Spirit of God put on our heart after we give our lives to Christ, to reach out to the world and express love. But as I mentioned at the top of the program, there's different kinds of love. So a prophet's motive is to reveal honest motives by presenting spiritual truth. His would be kind of kind of a, a tough love. Service would be the motivation to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs. So whereas the prophet would be a mouth, the servant would be a hand. Teaching, also in the mouth department, is the motivation to research and authenticate truth. So the prophet's just saying this is true. The teacher's saying, well, here's where we get that from the scripture. Now, of course, a prophet should be referring to the scripture too. But what I mean is a teacher is also a good student. This person will enjoy studying the scripture and the Greek participles as much, if not more, than, than talking about it. Now, an exhorter, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding standing about that. This is the motivation to stimulate spiritual growth through practical counsel. It's like the gift of counseling. A lot of times Christians, when they say they're exhorting you, they're giving unsolicited advice. The Bible has a different word for unsolicited advice. I mentioned it two weeks ago. It's called being a busybody. Don't mistake that for the gift of exhortation. But it is true that one who's motivated to give counsel might give it even when they're not asked for it. A good counselor doesn't give counsel unless they're asked And then there's the gift of giving. That's a type of service. It's very similar to the gift of service. It's it's a hand. It's uh, concerned primarily with material need. But this person is giving funds, using money, feeding the poor, funding ministries. I mentioned that I was, uh, for many years, working for campus ambassadors and raising my own support. I still do that for the ministry I'm involved in now. We're very dependent on people with the gift of giving. But anybody can give. But somebody with the gift of giving is going to do it better and teach others how to do it. And then the gift of leadership also referred to as the gift of ruling or administration. That's the motivation to oversee group functions and stimulate others to ministry. And finally, the gift of mercy, the motivation to comfort others by showing empathy. Now, it's believed that these basic motivations always existed in us. When the Holy Spirit came, he gave us godly motivations instead of self-interested motivations. Therefore, each of these gifts would also be talents or impulses which the unbeliever has. But the unbeliever does not use them for God. Now, I don't mean any disrespect. I, I know many unbelievers. They do many wonderful things. But I mean one who's very focused on a belief in Jesus and spreading the word of the kingdom, has accepted that theology, has come to the conclusion that that's true. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to minimize. I, I know some unbelievers that do wonderful things, and I, I have some Christian friends that make me miserable. Okay, so I'm going to break it up a little bit here with all the stereotyping. But I mean, as, as a general rule, those who've truly given their lives over to Christ, some of the talents and impulses they had before the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're doing it for God. Because generally, we as human beings do things selfishly. And the ability to work unselfishly, or I should say consistently unselfishly, is a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. But even Christians, they float back and forth. They're selfish, then the Holy Spirit convicts them, and then they're unselfish. But keep in mind that the gifts are not talking so much, as I said, about supernatural skill as supernatural motivation. Now, one of my favorite examples here is as we're getting close to Christmas time, one of the best Christmas stories ever written, and that's the Christmas Carol by the brilliant Charles Dickens. 
And although they don't refer to it as such, as you know, in the 200-some movies they've made out of it, whether you go with the Mr. Magoo version or the Muppet version or the musical version, Ebenezer Scrooge has kind of a conversion experience. They don't call it that. They don't have him reading the four spiritual laws and getting on his knee except Christ at the end. But he's a pretty stingy miser, and he becomes so generous that the greatest joy in the world is for him to give and help people with their lives. Now, he already had a gift, and that gift was he was very thrifty. He was good at making money. He was good at saving money. He was good at spending his money wisely. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to do that. That's just a good thing to do. But he had the gift of giving even before his conversion, but he gave to himself. When as a result of meeting three spirits, he converted and changed his life. Now he had this love for people. I mentioned that a prophet is one who likes to speak the truth. Sometimes a pathological liar, when they get saved, will become a prophet. Why? Because to be a good liar, you have to know consistently where you lied and where you didn't lie. So when I say here that somebody gives their lives to Christ and therefore the Holy Spirit helps them to become a better person, I don't mean that you can't do good things without that, but we do it more consistently when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And part of the pilgrimage, part of the discipline of being a Christian is to learn to put your focus on the Holy Spirit every day, this Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, because when we ignore him and ignore our conscience, we can feel, live, and act just like we did before we converted. But when that lines up, then motivations, which at least some of the time were selfish, become unselfish. So we're talking here about the seven root motivational gifts of Romans chapter 12, seven different ways to demonstrate love. And prophecy is the motivation to reveal honest motives by presenting spiritual truth. Now, I mentioned last week that God doesn't wait till we take a course or seminar on spiritual gift to start using our gift. And since it's a motivation and it hasn't yet been turned into a skill, And perhaps we haven't grown in Christ in other ways. And perhaps our discipleship hasn't come along too well yet. And we haven't had enough people to to challenge us. A lot of times we'll misuse our gift. But as I talk now about the misuses of the gift, the misuse is so obvious that sometimes that reveals that you have it. So I I don't want anybody to glorify the misuse. For example, a prophet is somebody, again, that, that speaks the truth. Well, usually a prophet will be a very blunt person. Now, we had a woman in our ministry. Her name was Susan. I won't use any last name so you'll never know which Susan I'm talking about. You all know a Susan. This is a Susan that I know. This was back when I was doing campus ministry at UC Santa Barbara. And now Susan converted into our ministry out of a Catholic church. Uh, Now, again, and I've said this before, but I I want to be really careful because I know different people listen to this, people from different churches, people that don't even go to church. In her case, even though she grew up Catholic, she did not understand what it meant to have a personal relationship with Christ. But I could talk about Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, people that went to a non-denominational church. There's all kinds of churches you can go to and grow up without knowing what it is to have a personal relationship with Christ. Going to church no more makes you a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you an automobile. So I'm not picking on the Catholics. I don't agree with everything the Catholics teach, but I don't agree with everything from any church I've ever attended and what they teach because human beings make mistakes. We need to get our theology from the Bible, and a lot of times churches take the Bible out of context. So, But anyway, I, I said that to, just to tell you that she came out of a Catholic church. Now, after she gave her life to Jesus and became born again, she had this love and she wanted to find another church to go to. And we had a campus fellowship and some meetings, but 
we were actually referring to ourselves as a church and she wanted to find a church to go to on Sunday. So I gave her some guidelines. I said, be careful because there's churches that are Bible believing. No church is perfect. If you have people in the church, <laughs> it's not going to be perfect. There's the old saying, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it because you're not perfect. Okay. But there are churches that imperfect as they may be, at least take the Bible seriously, at least struggle to obey the spirit of God. There's other churches that I would call dead Sometimes they're called liberal churches. By here, we don't mean politically liberal, but churches that don't even believe in miracles necessarily. Some of them don't even believe in the resurrection. They don't believe Christ is the only way. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that they don't take too seriously. They like judge not lest you be judged. They like God is love, but verses that talk about heaven and hell. And Anyway, these churches are just not serious enough about the Bible, and I was referring to them as dead churches. So Susan was asking me, well, how do I know if a church is dead or alive? I said, well, go into a church, talk with their pastor, ask a few questions, Ask for their doctrinal statement. If they say they don't know what you're talking about when they say doctrinal statement, uh, that's a good clue that you don't want to go there. If they give you a doctrinal statement and it looks weird, come back, check it out with me, check it against scripture. I, I thought she'd ask some discreet questions. Susan was a prophet or prophetess. She spoke very bluntly. I, I would not have encouraged her to be this blunt, but it was quite humorous. She went to the local Catholic church because that was the church she grew up in. She went to meet with the priest. And she said, uh, I'm thinking of joining your church, but I have a couple of questions. So he said, oh, well, what are your questions, my child? I'd like to know if your church is dead or alive. Because if it's dead, I'm not going to join. Okay, see the bluntness there? Where's the polish? <laughs> I don't think he'd ever been asked a question like that before in his life. He sat down. He says, well, when you say dead, what do you mean? She says, well... You know, you don't really accept all of the Bible as the word of God. You, you're kind of iffy about whether people need to give their lives to Christ to be saved. Uh, you don't take miracles seriously. Now, to his credit, he was painfully honest. In a very friendly way, he listened to her and he said, you know, well, based on what you're saying, I guess I'd have to say that our church is dead. She says, okay, well, thank you very much. I won't be joining this church. And she left the room. Okay, that, that wasn't very tactful, but that's the way a prophet will be in the raw unrefined stage. They'll be that blunt. Usually they are people that are loud, people with good talking ability, but it doesn't always have to be that way. Now, let me tell you another story. This was a woman named Sorem. She was an exchange student from Hong Kong. Delightful, charming person. Now, partly because of the language barrier and partly because she was just a soft-spoken person by nature. You would never have thought of her as a prophet because you couldn't imagine her getting up and proclaiming this or proclaiming that. And yet she was always bringing people to our Bible studies, usually unsafe friends. She had such a burden for the law. She clearly was an evangelist, which again is the prophet on the type A side, ministry of the world. And she was always intrigued with my speaking ability. She would ask me, what's it like to lead a Bible study? Where did you learn to be an orator? Where did you learn to speak up? I knew Soren for quite some time. I think it was almost a year before it finally occurred to me, this is a prophet. <laughs> And because she's so soft-spoken, and because prophets aren't usually known for being soft-spoken, uh, we, we weren't thinking that way. But you can be a soft-spoken prophet. I, I think Ben Carson is a prophet in the, in the sense that the man speaks truth and speaks it pretty bluntly, but he does it in such a soft-spoken way. He gets outshadowed that Soren was a prophet. She was, and, and even though she still didn't have a lot of skill with communication, she was very intrigued with it. Well, again, I told you, the skill, the polish, that's something we have to develop... The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.